Welcome to the Raise Private Money Legally Podcast with your host, Corporate Securities Attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Kim is a nationally recognized attorney, speaker, and the author of two number one Amazon best-selling books, the latest of which is How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally. Kim and her firm, Syndication Attorneys, PLLC, have been responsible for over $2.75 billion in securities offerings. The purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to topics and services you need as your real estate syndication business grows. Whether you're a new syndicator or a seasoned fund manager, this podcast is for you. Information discussed during this free podcast is of a general, educational nature and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Welcome to Syndication Attorney's free monthly teleseminar, where we talk about topics of interest to real estate syndicators with opportunity to ask live questions and answer and get answers at the end of the call. I'm attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Also joining me on the call is Charlene Standridge, our law clerk and business development director. Charlene, say hi. Hello, everyone. Okay. Um, today, our topic is multifamily outlook beyond COVID-19 with our special guest, David Lindahl. Hi, Dave. Hey, Kim, how's it going? Really good, really good. So uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the story, my story before and how I met Dave, but uh, back in 2007, my well, actually 2006, my husband and I wanted to uh, check out some different real estate investing models, and we went to a learning annex in Los Angeles, California. And one of the, you, know, you could go out into all these little breakout rooms, and one of the rooms was uh, this guy who was teaching people how to buy multifamily, and I thought that sounded really interesting. So we went in and we listened and we dutifully got up at the end and bought Dave's home study course and went home and did absolutely nothing with it for a year and a half. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that never happens, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we started listening to Dave's calls and uh, Dave is very persuasive, as some of you may know. Uh, and he suggested that uh, everybody on the call might want to attend a multifamily millions uh, boot camp. And we thought that was great. So we went out to Boston and we did that. That was uh, late 2007. And uh, then he announced on stage that he was going to have a private money boot camp, first ever. And I thought, oh boy, we should go to that. I was a a fairly new attorney at the time. I'd been doing some real estate litigation and environmental law prior to that. And I thought, well, if I'm going to get into this space and we're going to syndicate, we better learn how to do this right. So we went and uh, Dave had an attorney on the stage whose name was Gene Trowbridge. And Gene taught us all about securities. Uh, it turned out that Gene and I lived about 75 miles apart from each other in Southern California. And so even though we were both in Boston when we met, so I went up to Gene and said, you know, Gene, I work for other attorneys. I'd love to, to work with you. And uh, he and I struck up a relationship and I worked for him for a couple of years. And then in 2010, we started our own law firm, a securities law firm, Trowbridge and Taylor. Uh, I worked continuously with Gene in a law firm partnership up until 2016. And then my husband and I decided we were going to move to Florida. So we uh, packed up the, the truck and put the, put the stuff on top and, and moved across the country and uh, started up my own law firm out in Florida. So that's, that's kind of my story. But uh, along the way, I've, I've certainly been at a ton of RE Mentor events and uh, I co-teach the Private Money Boot Camp. Um, I've just you know known Dave and his organization. They've been top notch. Uh, the whole, the whole entire. Had a lot of dinners. Yeah, 
Those, those educational <laughs> classes that uh, Ari Mentor gives are just, I think, without parallel. Uh, we see a lot of people training in this market right now that aren't giving the same breadth and depth of training that uh, that the Ari Mentor program does. And, and uh, as a consequence of that, almost all of our clients that have come back for deal after deal and have done a lot of syndications have come out of the RE Mentor program. So, you know, Dave, I think that speaks highly of your organization. So, Yeah, I think that's because I made a lot of mistakes uh, when I first started and uh, I still make mistakes, but I'm willing to share all of them. And uh, so people can watch out when they first get started. So after, after they do their first deal, they can survive it and get into their second and third and fourth. Yeah, and it, it really does make a difference. And I, and I think one of the things that sets you apart from some of the other trainers is that you've got, it's more like a curriculum. You know, it's not like you just go to one boot camp and you try to learn everything all at one time. You know, you go to this one and then you go on to the next one and, you know, you, you learn all these different, more in-depth skills, which I think is just really where people gain the confidence to do it. Yeah, you know, there's so much to in this business. There's so much to know and learn. So. You get an overview and then you get the deep dive into each of the topics. And that's where it really, uh, that's where it really helps out those deep dives. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's going on right now. I mean, obviously this uh, coronavirus has uh, put everything into a tailspin and we're all just trying to figure out, you know, everybody I think was stunned for a couple of about four to six weeks, just paralyzed. And now we're starting to see a lot more people calling and getting deals and coming through the door, um, but uh, you know everybody's curious about what's what's next, what's going to happen in the multifamily. So that's why we wanted you to to give us your wisdom on some of these things. You, you've been through a couple of cycles, I think. I've been through three uh, three market cycles, uh, two um, epidemics, two financial crises, and now a pandemic. Wow, that is pretty amazing. <laughs> I've seen it from all angles. So you probably have a pretty good idea then of what might happen here in the future. Um, so let's just dive into to the questions. You know, so are we starting to see some uh, flexibility in pricing yet? Have the sellers started to adjust any kind of pricing? Everybody's kind of still on, on hold right now. Sellers, sellers would love to get the properties on the market sold. Uh, the buyers aren't, uh, were, they were on the sidelines, but uh, as you said, there are some people uh, out there in the marketplace, the smart ones are actually out there in the marketplace making deals. A little harder to make deals now because they're still um, still up in the air as to the effect of of this uh, on the marketplace. You know, April, the majority of rents got paid in April, um, so people had reserves. But now we're in May, so everybody's looking to see what's going to happen in May and June. I think those are going to be the two hardest months. Uh, and then after we see what happens, we'll get a really price will, prices will start to reset. We'll get an idea of where the market's headed and how to buy properly. Right now, when you're buying, um, you're one of the few investors out there that are buying. And one of the things you need to do is you've got to be aware of that, you know, there may be a, um, a the revenue stream might be a lot lower when you get to the closing table. So you need to prepare for that. That's, that's the biggest obstacle right now, now, or the biggest unknown, is that you don't know how, many rent, how much rents are going to be collected over the next, it's actually 90 days now, it's typically taking to close. Uh, and that's because it's hard to get all your due diligence done because it's hard to get people on the properties and actually go through the properties at this particular time. So you've got a 90-day close. Within that 90 days, though, uh, we should see by July, we should have a really good indication about what the effects were. And I've been telling our students that, you know, don't buy based on, of course, you buy based on price. 
but you also buy based on the cap rate of that price. So you put it in a disclosure uh, or you put it in an agreement inside of your purchase and sale agreement in your offer that states that you're buying based on, you're buying, a, you agree on a price, but you're also agreeing on a certain cap rate. So if the revenue is coming lower at the time of closing, which you and the bank, the bank is definitely going to be, be looking at this. And um, and if for some reason those those uh, revenues are a lot lower, they're going to make that uh, loan amount a lot lower. So that's why you want to be doing the same thing the bank's doing, watching it, and then buy this thing based on the capitalization rate. You agree on our purchase price, but you really agree on the capitalization rate. You buy in the actuals, and then it will adjust. Now, if you do this, there's a possibility that the revenues are going to go higher, and then you're paying a higher price. That's okay, because you really you want to mitigate your risk on the downside. If the numbers still work with the revenues higher, um, you know, which they probably would, uh, based on based, if you stay at the same cap rate, um, then you still got a good deal. But what you're mitigating the risk is on the downside. Wow, so that's going to be a pretty advanced uh, purchase and sale agreement that's going to be able to accommodate that. Do you think most? Well, yeah, not, you know, sellers aren't going to be too happy with it. And I know this by experience because, you know, how many times have you gone into a deal and the, uh, the it's by pro forma, right? So the broker or the owner, they want you to buy based on a pro forma. What the num- not what the actual numbers are, but what, what the numbers will be if you fix a couple of the value adds that, the owner just couldn't get around to or wasn't skilled enough to fix prior to selling the property. So that, so, uh, so what we've done and what I've trained people to do is to say, okay, if you're not going to give me the actual numbers, then what we'll do is at the closing, we'll see the actual numbers and then we'll agree on this price, but at this cap rate, just like I just said, and at the closing, if those, we'll, we'll get, if those actual numbers are less, then we're buying for that. Sellers hate that. But, um, you know, if in reality, what's really happening? I mean, if they're giving you bogus numbers to start off with, and the deal's not going to work when you get those actual numbers, why waste all of your time? You know, right, right. But, but in this case, with the coronavirus, it's not that the sellers are trying to be, you know, uh, underhanded. It's just that nobody knows. Nobody knows right now what what the effects are going to be. Right. Well, and that's why uh, I've been hearing from Lenders Council that uh, they're requiring six to 18 months uh, um, debt service reserves before closing. And that's based on the uh, debt service coverage ratio. In some cases, they'll say that if after a few months, they'll release part of it. But uh, it's that's a pretty big chunk. So now you got to raise that much more money. Exactly. Uh, I had a student that was doing a deal in in the middle of the coronavirus, uh, in the middle of this, and the raise went up 1.3 million when when Fannie Mae readjusted what the reserves were going to be. They not only re, re, uh, readjusted the mortgage, but they also readjusted the the property reserves itself. You know, the reserves for you know when things go wrong in the property, things that need to be fixed. Right. So they went 18 months on that as well. Wow. So 18 months repairs and 18 months uh, for debt service reserves. So you've got to build that into your raise and uh, figure out how you're going to do that and and still right. make the deal make sense. Wow. Um, so what about commercial mortgages? Have you heard anything about, are they kind of following along with what Fannie and Freddie are doing? Uh, are you talking about office buildings or are you talking about CMBS? Well, just like, yeah, CMBS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, there are some out there that are saying that, um, you can actually borrow those reserves uh, at a low interest rate. And if you don't use them, you, you won't get charged. You only charge on what you use or what they use. Uh, so that's one, uh, that's the best variation that we've seen. 
you know, we're out there looking at deals all the time. So um, uh, we were we were going into a deal, and uh, when all this hit, it's like, wow. All right, so now what do we do? And uh, I can't. I would love to share that name, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. If I can, if I can uh, find it during this call, I'll share it with everybody. Who that lender is? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that that sounds like a great solution. It's going to be very popular, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, what about people that have you know, existing properties, and uh, all of a sudden they have these decreased revenue streams, and if they're having trouble making their mortgages, have there been any accommodations for that? Uh, uh, the, are you talking about the owners? Yeah. yeah so, so the, 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 the yeah, owners, the Freddie, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae are offering forbearance for the owners. Yeah. They're giving free, uh, three three months, uh, don't pay your mortgage, and then they'll make out an arrangement with you over the next 12 months to make up those payments. Um, so that's that. You know, that's if you don't have to do that, you don't want to. Um, this is when you know they always say that. Um, the, the, the naked man gets exposed low tide, right? This is when if you didn't go into the deal properly and you didn't buy based on the right numbers conservatively, uh, and if you had a very high, you have a very high break-even rate, um, then you're going to have difficult times. But if you bought properly, um, it shouldn't be that much of an issue uh, going in. Well, it shouldn't be as long as I'll tell you where the issues are. The issues are on your C- minus and D properties. NC properties as well, because those are the service people that, that live in those units are typically uh, uh, are service type of uh, workers. They're the ones that lost their jobs first. They're the ones that probably um, are not going to get them back as fast. Uh, but your B property is going to be a lot more stable going in. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I think the lesson here is don't undercapitalize to begin with. That's always a problem. You know, if you, you undercapitalize when you buy something, then you can, you're stuck with the same property you just bought. You can't do anything to it. Um, but it yeah. doesn't have, then you don't have the reserves in place for something like this. Okay, absolutely. You know, there's this huge opportunity that's developing right now. I call it the marginal owner plus coronavirus equals family wealth. And all the marginal owners are going to be exposed. They're going to, you know, if you've ever planted a grass and, or if you've ever eaten nuts and, you know, those nuts, that the small particles still stay in your teeth or the, the rocks from the grass that you just planted pop up. That's what it, that's what's happening right now. The marginal owners are going to be exposed in, a, in, a, in a, because they didn't they either didn't buy the property properly, they didn't oversee the property properly, or they didn't they never learned properly to oversee it, um, uh, or, or they've got the wrong management company in there. Uh, so they'll so one of those three or there's several other uh, reasons why people don't buy properly, but. When you don't buy properly, uh, all the people that didn't buy properly then and aren't managing properly, they're all going to be exposed in this marketplace, and they're going to create an opportunity for us as investors to come in and take those properties back. And that's where these deals are going to be. And by the way, I don't know if you saw it, but um, CoStar just had an article out uh, last week, um, and it was something like 30% of all commercial mortgages are, are going to go upside down uh, over the next year. And... They said that the pricing that those when those properties come back to the banks, um, the pricing that they're going to go back out go back out at is about thirty percent of what they paid pre-COVID. Wow, that's huge. They said there's <laughs> something like four. They did an analysis. There was something like fourteen thousand mortgages that they predict are going to go upside down over the next year. That's a great wow. list to get. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I know that uh, Gene and I built our firm 
after the Great Recession. And, you know, it's because there were so many opportunities in 2009, 2010, and the people that bought them and then sold them five, six years later, they did very, very well for their, themselves and their clients or their investors. Oh, yeah. some, some, of some of our most successful students are the ones that, that, that uh, were investing or joined us right, right uh, after the last financial crisis. Because, I mean, they get right in right at the very bottom. That's right. That's right. So this is the time to be here. And you know, right now you need to be learning and positioning yourself so that you can go out and take advantage of these great deals that are coming. Well, the other thing is that, you know, it's six months from now when you're asking for people for their last trailing 12 month uh, profit loss statements, it's going to look a whole lot different than it did January 1. So, oh, that's, yeah. you know, they're going to have to start getting realistic about the pricing because the banks are going to be looking at all of that for sure. Yeah. Let, let me tell you what's going to happen. These these marginal managers, uh, they're going to start. Their rent's going to start uh, becoming reduced. They're going to stop uh, doing the repairs, uh, repairs and maintenance on their properties because they don't have the funds to do it. Uh, the good tenants that they have are going to look at the property and see that. And this is this is over like the next four or six months. The good tenants that they have are going to take a look at the properties and realize that the management doesn't take care of the property anymore. Um, they're going to start leaving. You can't replace on a marginal. Now these marginal operators. Uh, or owners now are are going to create marginal properties. So the good tenants are going to leave these marginal properties for a better place to live because they're good tenants and they deserve that. They respect themselves. And when that good tenant leaves, uh, you can't replace that good tenant with another good tenant because they're not going to move into this place that needs these repairs. And it first starts showing on the exterior. And then you've got a ten a tenants that are upset because the repairs aren't being done in the unit. So you're going to replace the good tenants with marginal tenants. Um, and then the quality of the tenant profile starts going down. When the quality of the profile starts going down, the amount of revenues that you have coming in uh, isn't as great. It starts to lessen because, you know, when profile goes down, so does the, the collections. So collections start going down as well, and so does evictions. They start going up. So um, so they can't. So now they've got marginal tenants coming in, and the revenue stream is going down. They can't take care of the repairs and maintenance. Now they start re reducing their rents or giving concessions to get more tenants in because now they'll take anybody because they need the money to start paying their mortgage. And then they're going to get to the and their reserves will become depleted. And then they're going to get to a point where they've got a decision to make, and that is they they're going to realize that this property is not going to make it. Eventually, they're either going to have to give it back to the bank or sell. The smart ones will sell prior to having to make that decision to give it back to the bank. So that's the first opportunity that's going to start happening. And then you're going to have the other ones that just weren't smart enough to try to get rid of that property before. You know, they just didn't see it coming, you know, because they weren't trained properly. They weren't good operators and they never were. And they didn't, and, and because of that, they didn't know how to get out of the mess that, that they get themselves into. So there's the opportunity right there all spelled out. Yeah, well, that's pretty amazing. So what about investors? Uh, you know, I've heard that investors that lost money in the stock market are, you know, they would normally pull out some money and put it into some multifamily properties, but they're reluctant to do so until the stock market recovers. What do you think is going to happen with all that? Yeah, I think that's uh, it's an individual case by case. There's certainly a group of people that have that mindset. But in anybody's investor portfolio, you know, uh, first it starts with family and friends, and then you move over to business owners and, and true investors. Uh, so the true investors that see what's happening in the marketplace, I mean, not the ones that are just focused on the stock market, but actually see what's happening in the real estate marketplace are, are excited as well. And they're ready to, you know, they're, it's called dry powder, you know, they got dry powder and they're just waiting for the opportunity to present itself uh, in order to uh, move it into a deal. So now's the time to actually begin to be, if you don't have an investor list, 
uh, now's the time to start um, creating an investor list. And if you do have an investor list, now's the time to really communicate with them and let them know about the opportunity that's coming, you know, to be ready because property is going to start popping up. It's a good time to survey them as well because a lot of people's circumstances have changed, you know, in the last three or four months. So it's a good time to survey, survey your investor list and, and let them know uh, and say, hey, you know, if I do find a deal tomorrow, are you still interested in investing? And if so, you know, what would, be, what would the amount be? Because, the, you know, a lot of that has changed now. Well, well the and, other and, thing, we're in an right. unusual situation right now where people are stuck at home in certain, in certain places, so they're happy to talk to an adult. So they might be really welcoming your call where otherwise you might not have been able to get a hold of them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a captive audience. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Just touch base with all the people that are already on your list and think about how you're going to expand your list. You know, you can do digital conferences. You can, uh, you know, talk to people on the phone, whatever means you have for reaching out to people. This is the time to really be developing that and uh, putting putting up your uh, marketing pl- investor marketing program. Yeah, it explains the situation that we're going into. And, uh, you know, the ones that are, are just as excited as you are about it, always ask that question. Who else do you know that may be interested in this as well? And then you can expand your referral base that way. Right. Investor base. Right. So so short term, looks like there's some opportunities starting to pop up. Uh, looks like there's definitely going to be some opportunities within the next year when these uh, owners start getting crunched a little bit and realizing you know, the, the trouble that they're in. How long do you think it's all going to last? This opportunity? Yeah. I, well, of course, the best deals are going to come out early, but I think we're going to, this is going to be a two-year cycle. I think we've got, I think we've got two or three years to like really buy up a lot. And then we'll start the regular market cycle back again. The exciting thing about this particular, the time that we're in right now is that a lot of markets are resetting. And they're going to start, they're going to go back to the uh, buyer's market phase two uh, phase, which is the downward phase. And they're going to reset all, you know, a lot of them at the same time and start moving forward into the emerging phase. This is one of the few. It happened uh, after the last uh, crisis in 2008, the financial crisis. There was a big reset. Typically, at any given time, there's anywhere from eight to 20 emerging markets around the United States um, in the uh, primary or secondary markets and some tertiary markets as well. Now, there's going to be 50 or 60 of them. And it's just going to be you decide where you want to invest. And, and most people now will be able to invest in their own backyard because of the big reset that's happening. Well, that'll be a first for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know the whole time that I've been involved in this business, there's been some markets that have just been tight all along. Um, so maybe yeah, we'll like, even see something there. Well, you know, there was a time that you could, like after 2008, you could actually invest in Los Angeles, New York City, and San Diego, uh, and it would cash flow. And those big cities will cash flow again, except now you have LA and San Diego and all of California under rent control. So it's kind of screws that up for people living there. But you've got so many good markets around California, like Los Angeles, the Texas markets, uh, uh, Nevada, uh, Reno and all that, uh, Washington. So, you know, there are certainly markets that are close that you can do really well in. So it's it's my sense that some of these investors that have lost some money in this current market uh, downturn in the in the stock market that they're going to be really looking hard at their investment portfolios and maybe wanting to escape any future roller coaster rides. Do you think I'm on track with that? Roller coaster rides with the stock market? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Um, I mean, here's the thing with it, it, this is it, over the most people that own properties right now stock disbursements. That's probably the first time, and I can't since I've been an investor that disbursements across the board have stopped only because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and at the end of the fi- at the financial crisis, disbursements didn't stop because people seen, still needed a place to live and they were still paying the rent. In this particular case, with so many people getting laid off at once, um, and then the you know public service announcement saying don't pay your rent for three months, and then the most local government saying you can't have a having a, forfl- um, a moratorium on evictions. It's right. been uh, it's been, a, been one of those odd things, but. In most cases, the stock market had this wild swing, but real estate, it typically over time goes up and, and you get disbursements. At every drop in the stock market, we've had people calling in our office saying, you know, what do, what do you got? You know, what do you got to invest in? And they were investors that were in another deal and they just got their disbursement check, but yet they lost 40% in the stock market or 20% in the stock market. So yeah. they don't want the grief and the stress, I think. Um, well, so I think you brought up a really, really valid point. So, you know, if any of you that are listening to this call already own properties, it's okay to stop distributions to your investors right now and just tell them, look, this is really certain times. We don't know what the rent situation is going to look like. We need to just withhold cash and reserve. And then, you know, all that money is going to be there in reserve. We don't need it, but if we do need it, reserve, having a reserve is better than doing a capital call. But don't be afraid to do a capital call if you need one, you know, because that's that's what that language is in the documents for, is that uh, if you need the money, you should be thinking about whether to do a capital call. Uh, I know one uh, sector that that seems like it's going to you know, really take a long term hit maybe is the student housing. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I've been thinking about that a lot uh, because usually that's the safe haven in the down market is student housing. That's always performed the best in the multifamily and the down market and the commercial families like office and retail and all that is usually the safe haven. And then within inside multifamily, student housing is the safe haven and a down. But now we've got this situation where, um, you know, they're not having classes. I think it's a temporary thing. Um, you know, it, the revenues from student housing inside of, uh, of, um, uh, of colleges themselves, that's big. That's all. I was on a um, a call with Harvard's um, the dean of the business school, and they were losing ten million dollars a month of revenues because the students ran out of school. Wow. That was a that was a call for alumni. Um, so yeah, they were losing. T- so that's that's a big part of it. So they they they're going to want people on campus, um, and to have people on campus because they get the revenues from the um, uh, the dorms and the food and all of that. So that means the surrounding area where we buy student housing, that that demand is going to come back as well. I just don't think, I think the next year is going to be really rocky because most of the schools, you know, they're not having their fall semester. And they're not, nobody's sure if the winter semester is going to happen because, you know, in mo- everybody, all the, all the scientists are predicting that we're going to have a fall rebound, which won't be good. But, you know, uh, there's no vaccine that's really going to happen until, until a year from now. So. Student housing is really iffy right now, uh, but you know what? On the backside of this, where people are hurt on student housing, it's going to be a great time to buy. Right. Because right. I be- I believe the long term lookout for student housing is is still good. Because I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, I'm a big demographics follower. In uh, 2021 to 2023, that's when the largest amount of the um, the uh, the next wave. Uh, it's not called the millennials. It's the um, I forget what it is, but 
um, the next wave is coming through. So not only do we have a down market starting to increase, but we also have a demand increase coming in from 21 to 23. So it's a really good time to be in multifamily properties buying during this period. Great. Well, Dave, what, uh, how are you guys handling your education program right now? You know, I know you've got a lot of classes that you usually schedule on a regular basis and they're usually live. Are you doing digital classes? Are you on pause? What, what, what's your, your plan? Yeah, we're doing, we're doing virtual. So we're doing, um, yeah. Um, so we're mo- most of our, all, all of our lives that's on pause right now because you just can't put people together. You know, our biggest concern is the safety of the people that uh, that are our clients, our students. So mm-hmm. um, we're waiting to see what happens. We may, we may uh, have a. Cl- we're, we're looking around the country. You know, we're following the seat, um, uh, the guidelines of the um, uh, of uh, the government. And uh, we're looking to see if there's any openings and we, that where we could have a class and, and people are safe to travel there. But right now, we're just on a pause. Even our ultimate partnering event in, um, in August, the big event we used to have, you know, you know, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 people there. We put right. that on pause. George, George Foreman was going to speak at that one. That's on pause. We're going to do a virtual event in November. Um, we'll get all set for that, ultimate partnering, and then we'll be back sometime in 2021. I really don't think this whole thing is going to clear out in terms of the coronavirus in our society until uh next summer really so yeah so you know if we do do any teaching it's going to be very small groups you know so we can keep everybody separated uh but most of the stuff is going to be done virtually yeah it's gosh it's just a different world right now and, and i surely miss having those live events too and being able to attend and meet people face to face uh you know it the zoom helps a lot but uh, it's not the same you know, it really isn't that that Personal touch and face to face is just you know means so much to all of us as human beings. I think that uh, I think a lot of us are really missing it. Um, yeah, I agree. So anything else you want to add? Uh, anything we haven't covered? Uh, I want to plug, if you don't mind, we're actually doing a five-hour. I've got a uh, a one-hour explanation of the uh, of, of the uh, opportunity that we're going into. I kind of explained it very shortly. But I take about an hour to explain it. And then this Saturday, we're having a five-hour virtual event. Now, the fee to get into that event is just $20. And the $20 actually is being sent to um, uh, Feeding America, which for $20, you can provide 60 meals for people. So we're just really giving back to our students and opening up and saying, hey, look, this is the opportunity. And the hour that I present, if you can see it like I see it and get as excited as I am, then give us the $20, we'll give it to Feeding America, and then come this Saturday and we're going to do a full five hours, a deep dive into exactly how to prepare yourself and be prepared uh, to be taking advantage of the opportunity that's that has developed. Uh, so you would go to DaveEvent.com. DaveEvent.com. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Good. Um, and uh, if people wanted to contact your office uh, and ask any questions about your training programs or any of your upcoming events, what should they do? They can go. Uh, our website is reisinrealestatementor.com or they can call the office at any time, 781, business hours, 781-878-7114. And uh, somebody would be happy to explain, you know, go through the programs. Okay, so before we go to live Q&A and get you guys a chance to, to get in the queue, I just want to talk about how you can reach us. If you want any, uh, do you want to schedule an appointment with us, you can do so at syndicationattorneys.com. 
there's a place there where you can schedule an appointment. Also, I encourage everybody to spend some time in our library because in the library, there's over 40 articles. There's all of these uh, previously recorded teleseminars that we've done. We've been doing this now for over three years every month. And those are all posted. You'll see a couple more in there with Dave. Um, we've got uh, frequently asked questions. So these are the things that people ask me on a regular basis. We answer them. We post them. So they're probably questions you've got, too. There's white papers. There's all kinds of stuff. And you can get a free digital copy of my book, How to Legally Raise Private Money. If you'd rather have that on uh, Kindle or a soft copy, you can get that through Amazon. So How to Legally Raise Private Money with Dave, as my, who wrote, so graciously wrote the foreword for me. And then the other place I'd invite you to go is if you're thinking about setting up your uh, investor marketing program right now, uh, please visit our sister website, investormarketingmaterials.com, investormarketingmaterials.com. We have professional editors and graphic designers that can help you design professional marketing materials to show to your investors, to show them you mean business, and to show them that you're a professional. Um, so, Charlene, uh, do we have any questions? Yeah, we have a couple here. A and B grade properties tenanted by millennials who lost their jobs are walking out of their leases and moving home also, increasing vacancy issues in higher grade properties. Yeah, was that a statement or is that a question? Somebody asking if that's happening. I'm thinking that's a statement, but. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it, yeah. So here's the, here's the thing, right? It really, the effect on this coronavirus is property to property. So we know some, like the C properties are going to, probably be affected more we know that the b properties will be affected as well and so will the a's so it all depends on how well that manager is operating you know and there's a whole bunch of things that you know if, if uh, you did best practices and you were a smart operator that you did as soon as this outbreak started you know communicating with your tenants and telling them what to do and you're going through the entire process and showing them where the go there's, there's a lot of government assistance out there, assistance out there for rent you know, and then there's also the payback programs for people that are uh, are deficient. And so, I mean, so the smart operators aren't having as difficult a time, but the operators that never educated themselves properly or just aren't hands-on with their properties, uh, they will have the most difficult time. All right. All right. Our next one is California has a 5% rent caps per year plus cost of living. So 7 plus percent per year. Not bad, really. So another statement. Yeah. So 5% uh, uh, is not bad, but, you know, the the whole idea behind multifamily properties and investing is the cash flow is nice, but the appreciation is where you create your real wealth. So you don't want to be capped on the amount of appreciation that you can that, that you can get on a property. So if you go into a property that has a value add, all right, and then and somebody hasn't uh, raised those rents in, say, the last five years, you know, and there's X amount under market, and then all of a sudden, you know, how much under market is way above that 5%, that's no good, you know, because you can't execute on that on that value add. So that's the problem with that. Now, if you've got an A property, you know, the, and here, the opportunity when the market um, coming out of this uh, crisis we're in, one of the opportunities is, is A's are going to be yielding at about the same amount that B's are. So for a brief window, you'll be able to buy a B property for the an A property which is uh, less risky uh, and was uh, built a lot earlier, um, then, and you'd be able to buy about the same yield as a B property. So it's a good time to be stocking up with some A's because we don't make as much money on the A's, but they're a lot safer uh, in the opportunity there. So, you know, I like, if I was going to have a rent cap, I'd be owning A properties for the rent caps. 
Yeah, I have some clients that have some A properties, and they're saying that they're you know the rent's being paid right now. It is anyway. So you know, oh, time yeah. will come. But uh, you know, I'm not so I'm not sure that's the same situation that's happening in the C properties. No, well, your A properties, those people typically probably have reserves, more reserves. If the amount of reserves or in their bank account that that tenants will have will depend on property type. The A's will have a lot more. The B's will have uh, some. The C's will usually have not much. If any. Right. All right. Okay. Where can we get a list of the new emerging markets? It's not, um, you know, I was just going through my friend, Scott Stafford. He uh, has a program called RE Indicator, as in real estate indicator. I think it's uh, info.realestateindicator.com, reindicator.com. But he pinpoints emerging markets. Uh, we do our own list as well, but he goes like really deep uh, into tertiary markets. And I was looking through there and most of the markets, like we were in the late, before coronavirus happened, we were in the late innings of this cycle anyways. I mean, you couldn't go into a market, a good secondary, certainly not the primaries, uh, a good secondary market or a large tertiary market and stake a flag and get three or five deals, you know, before you were ready to move on to the next market or got the appreciation you were looking for. Um, most of the, the opportunities were one-off one-off deals in a tertiary market here or a tertiary market there. So um, when I was looking at that map, I mean, a lot of the places I didn't recognize, and, and it was all the way down to um, cities that had 200,000 um, occupants or more. So, but that being said, the reset is about to happen. And the primary markets, I mean, if you're interested in investing in primary markets, typically the, the, the markets that move the fastest um, coming out of a, a problem in the economy is D.C., Minneapolis, New York, um, and, the, the, and then the primaries will all follow that, Boston, Orlando, and then the secondaries will follow that. But now they're, all, they're pretty much all resetting at the same time. I think what you would do is, is look at which markets were impacted the most by the, by the corona um, and which ones were impacted least. And the ones that were impacted least will come out faster. The ones that were impacted most will come out slower. And what I would do is I would start at the ones that, that weren't as impacted, and then I would really focus on the ones that were impacted a lot because that's where the owners get hardest hit. And that's where the biggest opportunities are going to be. All right. Charlene, who's next? Um, what kind of cap rates, um, what kind of cap rates you will be looking for in the next four to six months? Now, let me give you a formula that I've been teaching since 2002 and that I've been using it since 1996 to invest with. And that we call it the Trinity. And the Trinity is when, when three different uh, um, ratios come together and um, uh, go over a certain point, then you can buy that property conservatively. You can get investors in the deal and you can get, take that deal down with no money out of your pocket. And still get 25% of the cash flow, 25% of the equity, and 100% of the acquisition fee. And I'm about, I'm about to give you those numbers. Any deal that comes in above these numbers, you can take a lot higher of that deal. You can get 20, you can get 30%, uh, 35%, 40%, all the way up to 50% of the deal. But um, so it's a capitalization rate of eight plus. Okay, a cash rent. Now the capitalization rate covers you as the investor. It tells you what your return is going to be. The capitalization, cash on cash return tells you what your investors will get. So you need a cash on cash return of 12 plus so that you can give your investors an eight. 
may sound a little confusing, but your investors will give you money. This is what I found through the years. As long as you're getting them an 8% cash on cash return a year, in order to give them an 8 and carve out your percentage, the 25%, you need to, that deal needs to have a 12 cash on cash return. So now you've got yourself and the investor covered. And then the third most important person in the deal is the bank. And the bank wants to see at least a 1.2 debt coverage ratio. But in order for this deal to work and you get in it conservatively and be able to get your investors in and you have no money into the deal and for it to work, you need to see that at a 1.6. So the debt coverage ratio tells the bank how many times um, your cash flow covers your mortgage payment. So when these three things come together, then you've got a deal that works. Now, in a lot of markets at a lot of different times, to find these deals that cover these three ratios, you're not going to find it on the internet. Every once in a while, you'll get lucky and you'll find one on CoStar, RootNet, uh, Kripke. Uh, but you typically don't find them on the internet. You get them through your relationships with your brokers or you get them through direct mail. And that's the way you should always be doing business. So through the years, I've, you know, people have told me, oh, you know, Dave, you can't find anything, anything in the Trinity in this market. And my next question would be, Tell me about your broker relationship. Tell me about the last conversation you had with that broker. Because if you, it, it's got to be a relationship. You've got to form what I call commonality. And commonality is, is having something in common with a broker other than real estate, something that you're both passionate about, that you can talk about. Because when you're talking about things other than business, then you're creating a relationship, and that relationship will bring you business. And not only that, you'll find that you become friends with the person as well. So that's... That's how you need to buy your deals, and that's how you get those deals. In terms of direct mail, that's just a numbers game, and those deals will come in. Typically, you're going to get a 1% response on the, on the amount of direct mail that you send out. You're going to get a lot of tire kickers, but you'll get 1% in deals, and that more than pays for the cost of direct mail. Well, i just like to add that that uh, rule of commonality that you just talked about is uh, yeah. the exact kind of uh, attitude that you should have when you're talking to your investors, too. You know, you're really looking to connect on a personal level as well as a business level. And uh, the, that makes for long-term investor relationship. Yep. I agree. Good point. All right. how, would you, how would you propose a capital raise on a land deal um, that is a high-density zoned in a premium area during this current market? That's something I can't forecast. I'm not. I'm not really a builder. Uh, I have built in the past. It's very painful. Uh, but what I would do is I would. The smartest thing to do would be to hire um, an engineer to do a feasibility study. Cost you somewhere between seven and ten thousand uh, dollars. Find out what the best use uh, uh, for that land is, and then you would do your numbers off of that. I know that's not something you. That's not a, an expense that you want to um, occur upfront going into a deal, but. I can't think of any other way to value land at this particular point. Okay. I don't know of any other way because that's not really not my that's not my forte. All right. Um, if I have a deal under contract, what kind of discount do you think I should be asking the seller for? Five percent, ten percent? It's not a discount. You should be looking at the numbers of the property. So the numbers of the property are, are moving down. Like I said earlier, you want to buy that deal based on the capitalization rate that you use to come up to the price that you agreed on. So you, so I would go back to the seller and say, hey, you know, the numbers are going down. It, it, you know, the, when, we, when I bought this property, you gave me these numbers, but now they're here. And I bought them at a capitalization rate of, of seven. So based on a capitalization rate of seven with these new numbers, the this property is, has a value of, and that's the new purchase price. Believe me, the bank's going to do the exact same thing. 
so um you know you, what you got to avoid right now is getting stuck in a situation where um you're past your due diligence points where your money's gone hard and then the the, the seller can just say you know screw so you've got to have extensions built-in extensions automatically and if you can do it without putting up uh any more money the better but you need to have automatic extensions in the deal to cover you right to the closing yeah That's and realize they stay safe it could take a little longer to raise money right now too. And the banks are taking longer. So you really got to build all that in so that you're not getting crunched at the end because of the situation and, and nothing that you did. Okay. Um, who do we contact to acquire the non-performing loans as a result of the marginal manager? That would be, um, there's, there's um, companies out there, there's auction sites out there where they'll go, but you really want to go to local banks and you want to find out who heads the real estate owned department. The local commercial banks in the area that you want to do business, find out who owns the real estate owned. I mean, who is the, who heads that uh, part of the business? And then start sending them letters and build a relationship like you would with your broker or your investors. Um, besides larger reserves and extending closing times, what else can be expected to be seen to see trying to close? Yeah, I think the what? lenders are looking a lot harder at the people who are doing the deal. Uh, I think they're looking for experience that that's kind of what i've been seeing lately <clears throat> yeah so if you don't have that experience then give yourself a good sponsor and a lot of times you'll find within your investment pool there's somebody that has that that, that does have that experience and they can get on the on the loan and sponsor that deal with you and get it done um do you recommend finding investors from facebook ads or social media at all well, here's the thing, as Kim knows, I mean, she's probably better to, better to answer that question than I am. There's certain rules and regulations that you need to follow. So, Kim, why don't you answer that one? Well, it depends on what exemption you're going to use to be able to uh, raise money. So if you got a deal under contract right now and you're meeting people that way, then you better have a Regulation D Rule 506C offering that allows you to advertise. Uh, if you don't have a deal under contract and you're meeting people that way, then you need to take the time to get to know those people and to develop a relationship with them before you start telling them about deals. So there's an article on our website called Determining Investor Suitability that I would recommend everybody on this call uh, read because that talks about what the SEC believes is necessary to be able to prove that you had a pre-existing substantive relationship and you didn't advertise to find these people. So read that article, Determining Investor Suitability. Um, what is the address for Dave's event on Saturday? It's virtual, yeah. It's going to be Zoom. Uh, so it's DaveEvent.com. What you need to do is read the, the DaveEvent.com takes you to a presentation that I did to explain the opportunity. It's about 45 minutes to an hour long. And if you can, if, if, from that point, if you decide, yeah, this is something I'm really interested in, then there's a $20 fee. And... Um, and you go, you'll be invited into that uh, five-hour event. Starts um, Saturday at 12 Eastern. Perfect. Um, which properties are more affected, C or NB? Uh, the C properties are affected the most because of the type of the tenant profile. And then the Bs, a little less so. And then the As are probably the least affected. Okay. Right? Again, and that just goes to the stability of their jobs and the amount of reserves that they would have in the bank. Any comment on the ev eviction moratoriums from the CARES Act and new HEROES bill, which is planning to add another 12 months of moratoriums, seems more political risk than financial at this point. I wasn't aware of that. Um, are you aware of that, Kim? Are they going to they're gonna put a 12-month moratorium on evictions? 
Well, I think that's the proposal that uh, Senate has said is dead on dead on arrival. Um, but uh, that's, that's I'm not aware, make any sense. Yeah, I'm not aware of that either. But um, I think that it's important that you you know we'd write into the documents risks related to coronavirus and uh, you know political issues, uh, you know deferrals and things like that. That, that could happen because as long as you're informing these and your investors up front that these are the things that could happen and, and could ultimately cause you to lose the property, well, they can't come back and blame you for it if it does because they read about it and they decided to invest anyway. But I think you, you do have a duty to inform investors that this could happen and it could uh, affect their returns and their ability to get their money back. Um, what is your view about investing in SFR versus multifamily going forward, given concerns from distancing caused by coronavirus? Single family residence, is that SFR? Yeah. I'm not a single family investor. Uh, when I started investing <clears throat> 20, 25, 26 years ago, I first started with credit cards. I ran out of credit card money. And then I wouldn't sign, sign up for every credit card that I could get. I was broke back then. Um, and so I got my down payments with that. And then I ran, I ran out of those. And that's how I learned how to flip houses. I would flip houses so I could get more down payments for more multifamily properties. And then my multifamily properties started generating enough cash flow for down payments to buy more. So um, I've never really been a single family investor, mainly because um, it's a lot of work, you know, and you've got to be on site. And in order for you to get a check, uh, you've got to do all that work and then resell the property. Where a multifamily property is a true business. You know, true business people, they look for opportunities to create a revenue. When I was at Harvard University, and the only, the only reason I got in there, um, and, and that was in my late 30s, was because I had I went through the Harvard Business School OPM program, um, which is kind of like the MBA, but it's for people, the best way to describe it is for people that have started businesses and created over $10 million revenue stream, and then you get invited into that program, and then they qualify you to see if they let you in. Um, so, when I was in that program, one of the things they drilled into our heads is that you want to create a company that, that you can create a sustainable revenue stream from. It's all about a sustainable revenue stream. Businesses are evaluated on sustainable revenue streams and your team, you know, the team of people you surround you with, yourself with. You can't create a sustainable revenue stream with single family houses because it's just, unless you're a big producer, you know, and you're you're just buying up a whole bunch of them, and you've got people underneath you going through them and and flipping them out, uh, which most people don't. But multifamily properties, you it's all about the revenue stream. The value of the property is based on the revenue stream, and then you build a team below you um, of your attorney, a good SEC attorney like Kim. Um, you get your manager in there. You get um, uh, your insurance. Uh, you know, the whole list of people that are your team, and they and you run these properties. So your role is to go out there and get more deals so you can hand off to your team and, and, and keep that sustainable revenue stream going. Your other part of the, your responsibilities is to be a good asset manager uh, so you can oversee the, the asset management of the properties, but not the actual property management of the property. So, uh, no, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great opportunity in uh, single-family investing uh, uh, coming out of this turn as well. That's just not my, that's not my market. Um, Rick, I'm going to unmute you. Thank you. Um, Dave, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on Las Vegas. Um, I know you said some of the opportunities are the ones that got hit the hardest, and it seems like Vegas is getting pretty wiped out. So any thoughts on um, coming forward? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be a buyer in Vegas. I'd be looking. Uh, that market's turning really bad right now. The casinos have been closed for, what, nine weeks now. 
Um, so, and they're going to open up slowly. I mean, how can you social distance in the casino? It's really hard. And all those shows too. Um, so I would be, I would definitely be watching that market and I would be a buyer because you know, it's going to come back. It's just a matter of time. Right. That was my same thoughts. Yeah. I don't know if it would be one of the first markets I go into because I think it's going to take longer to shake out, but I, I, but I would have an eye on Vegas the whole time. Uh, we're running out of time here, so I'm just going to pick a few of these remaining questions. Uh, there's one that asked if we could uh, share the link to the report that talked about the uh, 30% uh, let's see, uh, sell properties for 30% of purchase price. I think you said that was CoStar report, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, that's, um, that was shared to me by my partner, so it's inside of my email. Um, I'm not in the office today, but I will forward that over to you, um, Kim, and then you can send it out. And uh, then somebody asks, uh, can you use or format more than one sponsor on a given deal? Well, sure, you can have multiple uh, guarantor sponsors uh, as long as they all agree. Uh, there, there's no problem with that. And usually you're going to have to have a sponsor. If you don't have the net worth to uh, cover the loan amount or the loan balance, then you're going to have to bring in some other people that do. It's very common to pool people's resources together to be able to hit those liquidity targets that the lenders have. Okay, and um, that's all the questions that we have right now. Um, thank you all for attending. Dave, this was phenomenal. As always, you have such great wealth of advice to share with all of us. We can't get enough of it. So uh, if you want more, attend Dave's uh, Saturday event and uh, listen to his uh, one-hour persuasive <laughs> discussion where I'm sure once you're done listening to that, you won't want to miss the Saturday event. I'm sure of that. It, uh, it lays it out. It lays it out step-by-step step as to what the opportunity is and how it got there. That's fantastic. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next month. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Raise Private Money Legally podcast with your host, securities attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Syndication Attorneys PLLC is a law firm that provides syndication and fund documents, offers commercial real estate transactional services, and creates professionally designed investor marketing materials for capital raising clients nationwide. Visit syndicationattorneys.com to schedule an appointment and sign up to get a copy of our latest book, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally, the only guide you need to raise private money legally for real estate funds and syndications.